This is Joe Folkman. We'd like to welcome you to this podcast today. We're here with Ryan Smith, who's CEO of Qualtrics. Ryan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, this is a great opportunity. We're here at Qualtrics headquarters. You've got to really appreciate this place because uh, as you look around, there's dogs running around, Ryan. What kind of a place are you running here? <laughs> you walk in the front door, there's a basketball court and scooters. <laughs> Most of the employees are slightly younger than Jack and I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think we've got a couple principles at Qualtrics. First of all is we don't take ourselves too seriously. I think that's a, great, um, that's a great kind of feature that we've been able to keep as we've grown. And so when we were looking at the lobby and we had this huge space and we didn't know what to do there, one of the things that stuck out is, well, why don't we put a basketball court or something in? Because I remember... I remember one of our first deals, we were trying to close the, the NBA. I remember stepping off the elevator in New York right onto hardwood, and it like, it like stuck with me. I was like, whoa, this is, this is different. And it actually has worked out really, really well where people can kind of release. The dog, the dog thing's gotten a little out of control. So we started with one dog, and now it seems like everyone, people are now buying dogs once they get employed so they can bring them to work they can bring them to work and you know i don't know if that hurts or helps productivity there's a lot of there's a lot of people that say it it doesn't quite help productivity but that's also another thing where we don't take ourselves too seriously when we're here but look we're fortunate our headquarters are in utah we have 10 offices around the globe every office has their own unique culture but here i mean i just had a group in this morning who's who's looking out our windows saying it's like working in yosemite national park and that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing is. is we've been able to build a tech company and it truly reflects on the 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 global reach of technology and the internet and and how we're able to kind of build where you are yeah. and i think that's a that's a cool that's a cool aspect of being able to create a business cuz no one really has the exclusive on smart people so back up 10 years 2002 you, your dad, your brother, a few other people, and now today uh, you get a valuation of $2.5 billion? Is that what it is? Yeah, so... <laughs> that's, that's, so it's a, it's that's a, a head it's, trip. It's a 14-, 15-year overnight success, which yeah. I, like to, <laughs> I like to call it. Um, you know, coming out of college, I was a junior in college, and I, I get with some of my friends, and I'm the only one that's had the same job this this whole time. And who would have thought that Qualtrics would have been the least risky business endeavor that anyone would go go take part of. And I think that's an interesting idea because when when I was coming out, we were in the shadow of the dot-com. You know, 2002 was when we were getting started. Everyone was gun-shy with anything that was involved with the Internet. Everyone was running towards brick and mortar and the financial industry. Everyone was running back to school. And we had this idea that we were going to democratize the ability to get insights and, you know, at the time, my father was an academic PhD researcher. He's a scientist. And he was always looking for ways to disrupt himself. You know, he could pay $100,000 to go do a consulting gig, and it would take him six months. And and he was always trying to find ways to do it, you know, less, less time, um, more innovative, maybe cheaper, faster, better. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we created some technology that, that really did that, allowed everyone to create what at the time was just a survey and send it out and, you know, run analytics on it and get your results back in real time. And for, for that time of the Internet, that was pretty unheard of. 
I mean, I remember calling one airline in 2005 and they're like, if our customers are mad at us, they'll just call us. <laughs> and like three years later, they're like buying a Qualtrics license. So, <laughs> so, you know, when we started, it was just the academic world that bought into this vision. And we started with one university. The main university we started with was the Kellogg Business School. And then they told someone at Wharton, who told someone at Columbia, who told someone at Duke. And the next thing you know, every academic institution in the world was using Qualtrics. And today, 8,500 customers. Yeah. So, so what happened in the downturn, which is 2006, 7, 8, when the whole world was falling, people were typically outsourcing the ability. If they wanted insights, they would go hire a consulting company. And when budgets started getting tight, uh, people started saying, hey, wait, we can do this different. We can still get the insights we need. We can do it ourselves for a lot less and we're actually able to do a lot more. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when this digital transformation happened in our world. At the same time, another dimension was coming up to speed, which was people were graduating from college and taking Qualtrics into the workforce. And so we kind of hit this perfect storm where people would leave Kellogg and go to, like, I remember the first one happened, they went to Heineken and, and sold a $60,000 license. And then the person went back to school at Kellogg, but Heineken kept using us. Or Expedia, someone left University of Washington and went to Expedia and sold a license. And it, it really started this idea of everyone's an insight seeker. And we've really been carving through that same vision for the, for the last, you know, 14 years in a way, although it's really morphed and evolved. And it's been, a, it's been a pretty fun journey to think about what we were working on in 2002 is at the forefront of technology. So you're young, but in those years, you've learned a lot of lessons about leadership. What are some of the key insights you've gained? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been a roller coaster, I'll tell you. Um, the first lesson was, um, you know, I'll never forget... And this was probably one of the, the greatest life lessons I've learned was my father and I used to sit, he'd sit in his office and we were in the basement of the house and I'd be in the office next door. And it was kind of a, a larger room. It was kind of actually the family room, downstairs family room. And he was in a bedroom. Um, and when, when someone would call in, I would knock on the door and I'd be like, oh, let me transfer you to support. And I'd like put it on mute and then like, hey, dad, pick up the phone. But, you know. At one period of time in about 2004, we were starting to get a little traction, but one of our competitors started gathering a lot of momentum. And they were actually selling a product that was very well funded, and it was a little bit better than ours, and they were selling it for cheaper, which is a hard, it's a hard problem, <laughs> yeah, right? When yeah. someone And they had raised like $38 million in funding, and they had bought, kind of con tried to consolidate the market. And here we were, and they were on the cover of every magazine. Everything was coming out. And we'd been around a little longer, but we were slower. We were in a basement. We were bootstrapped. And I remember getting really frustrated. Like, I remember one week at a time, I was like, this isn't going to work. I was really down. And I remember going into my dad, and like after like a couple days of this, my dad finally turns around from his computer because I was like, you know, telling him, hey, you know, he was in charge of the website at the time because he could program the website. I was like, you know, fix the website. This is what we need to do. And finally, he's like, who's stopping you from doing this? Like, who, who's getting in your way from doing everything you want to do? And I was like, it was a great lesson in leadership because I felt blocked. I felt like 
there was all these reasons why I couldn't do something, but it was just him and I in the basement, and he didn't really want to talk to me. <laughs> and so it was actually this lesson where it's like, who's, who has to give you permission to go do something? And I think as leaders, oftentimes we naturally feel blocked or stuck, but reality, we're stuck because it's us, because someone else in our same shoes probably wouldn't be stuck at all. And that's part of, that's part of leadership and mm -hmm. um, raising your hand and saying, hey, I'm stuck to your mentors or people around you or just giving yourself permission to go kick butt and like make things happen. And from that day on, it was like almost like he passed me the mantle that said, hey, if you want to go get something done, go do it and stop asking permission. And I think I think that as leaders, that's a that's a leadership lesson that we've that we've tried to incorporate at Qualtrics, even if you're young and scrappy, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Just go. So was that the origin of your philosophy about you have to kind of be willing to, to destroy what you've been in order to kind of move forward to the... Yeah, and technology to be relevant. I mean, if you look at technology in 15 years, I mean, what are we, 10 years since the iPhone came out? I mean, we just created seven years ago, you know, cloud computing didn't exist. Like, you start looking at how to be relevant in tech... And, you know, when you're in a basement, you're running one business model. You know, we went to academic. That was another business model. The hardest move we ever made was going from academic into the corporate world. And that was not a popular move. I specifically remember one employee, I asked him to go run corporate, who was running academic. And he, he literally thought he was getting fired and he left the company. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, your job is to run the entire world's corporate sales, like the whole world, and you're looking at this as a demotion, right? And that's, that's how the mindset has, has had to change every single time we do something. And so I look at Qualtrics and look at it as a series of startups. There's probably 10 or 15 when we went international. Um, we went from Utah to Dublin, Ireland. Those are very different cultures. And... That was a new startup. And, you know, we've had to be very, very cognitive and cautious that we get people on this ride with us that are okay with change. And some people are great um, contributors to the company, but if they can't handle change, they're, they're not going to be here very long. And they're going to get really frustrated because if we're not changing in tech, we're dead. Now, around here, people are always talking about tacos. Yeah. But it means something different here. Tell us about tacos. What does that mean? And, and how did you come up with it? So tacos are what we call our core values. Everyone always said, hey, Qualtrics, you've got a unique culture. But, but what are they? And, and part, of, part of creating this, we tried it a couple times. We, we've gone through and tried to create some, some principles. And we, you know, we had people from Amazon and people from Google that were here. And they've kind of basically taken every word that no one could disagree with and created like 10 leadership principles. But we, we had those in place and it was on the back of everyone's name badge. And, and it wasn't, it just wasn't jiving with our culture. And it always felt like it was someone else's. And um, a couple, about a year and a half ago, in December, I did an offsite with our executive team, and we were actually at my house, and we basically locked ourselves in our basement 
and said, we're not leaving till we identify like what is this description people have of our culture. Ryan, you do your best work in the basement. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, this is where the yeah, whole place yeah, started. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we, we literally, and people enjoying from all over and the team had to describe it. And so we came up with, with five values. And, you know, the first is that we're, we're radically transparent. And we want to be transparent in everything. And, you know, that's hard as you get bigger. So we have an all-hands meeting every Thursday. The whole company dials in. You know, I just did an executive offsite, published the meeting notes to the whole company. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. Um, as we grow and we go from 600 employees to 1,200 employees in one year, everyone needs to know their mission. And it's amazing that the default in most organizations is not to share. Not only not only not to share what's going on in the business, but also feedback. And we want to be radically candid and transparent with each other so that we can actually talk openly and know that we're all, we're all together. Um, so transparency is obviously, you know, super, super important. Um, you know, another one, and I'll just, I'll just go in whatever order, but um, customer obsessed. So customer obsessed is everyone asks, are you a sales company? Or are you an engineering company? And it's like, we're neither. We're a customer company. Like we want to be obsessed with our customers and especially the world that we play in, which is, you know, our XM vision with, with customer and employee um, experience. Uh, you know, a lot of the customer obsession starts with the employees. And that's really a big, a big part of this. Um, you know, you hate it when you lose a customer. I always do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll never forget when I was younger um, and we had like a thousand customers or, or like 500 customers. I, I was bragging to someone that we've never lost a customer. And this person had worked for a really large company and said, you know, you're just not big enough yet. And I was like, no, that's not true. That's not true. And, you know, reality is, is we want to provide a different experience. All, all the way around. So working with Qualtrics is something that's different than working with anyone else. And that can be, that, that, that aspect goes through every part of our business, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, from sending emails to support. And, you know, when you call into Qualtrics, you, you get someone live. And, you know, you think about the many users we have, that's a really hard, hard problem. But when someone's stuck in a math problem or they're running advanced analytics on our system, they don't want to call and get the, the airline answering tree that you have to go through. That's not good service for anyone. So we spend a lot of money and we want someone to call and talk to someone directly because that's why they're calling in. And that's been a, a decision that we've had all the way um, since we started. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting one. Another, another major uh, culture value is being scrappy. Right, which is a word that we we've always used since we've we've grown um, since we've grown up, and it's funny because if you think uh, if you think of the Hamilton, Hamilton's pretty big right now. We all went to to Hamilton last week, and it was uh, there's a song where about young, scrappy, and hungry, just like just like his country, right? And you know, trying to help people understand what scrappiness is, and it's a mindset that you know one of the reasons why we were able to innovate so much is scrappiness provides innovation. You know, um, if you look at bigger companies and where they struggle is they get a bunch of money or they have a bunch of resources. When you're resource constrained, you actually get pretty, you know, pretty cutting edge. And that's, um, that's awesome. And another, one of the other ones is one team, right? One team means that we're all one team, no matter where we are. And as we go, um, 
as we go through and expand, one team's actually becoming critical. And the, and the last one would be all in, which is we've got to be all in. And nothing good in my life's happened when I've got one foot out. And I think if I even look at some of the younger generation, some of the folks have never been all in on anything in their life. Right. And so trying to explain what all in means and how if we're all in together, that's what you want on, on the team. And so you've got transparency, all in, customer obsess, one team and scrappy, and that's what spells tacos. And um, it's funny because in our headquarters, we have f- we have six poles or six pillars, and those are five, and there's this open pillar, and <laughs> it's there on purpose for dot, dot, dot. Like, we, we don't know what that next one is. I mean, I think um, if I were to put one down right now, it's, it's probably integrity, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, there's just no minor lapse of integrity, and I think that that's that's something that we want everyone to learn. Now, now the cool thing about tacos or, or these objectives is they're they're all objectives, they're all aspirations. We cannot be transparent tomorrow. Like we go a month without sharing our meeting notes, we're not transparent anymore, right? All in is something we aspire to, and so I think it's pretty clear what everyone wants to accomplish and wants to be, and and we can help each other by saying, hey, look, you're not very scrappy, or Hey, how do we help you become more scrappy and and tie that to our objectives? So that's a long answer for some values, but uh, that's that's happened and that's who we are and that's what we came up with and that's the nomenclature of the or the the words that are used to describe us by ourselves internally. And these aren't things that Ryan came up with. These are these are people from the outside describing our culture. And so when we when we interview someone, we send them tacos and we say, Hey, look, don't don't come here if you're not going to fit. This, if you can't be all in, like, or one team, or customer obsessed, or transparent, um, it's probably it's probably best we don't we don't play together. We don't believe in forced marriages. Yeah, I was talking to one of your employees, and I said, "Yeah, I got a email from Ryan. It was at three a.m. <laughs> so you kind of practice that, don't you?" Um, yeah, my job there's no real hours. It's it's when I wake up, I kind of need to go i'm a morning person or a night person depending on how you look at it but it's uh it's it's the way it goes and i mean to be doing this 15 years later you guys have obviously been doing this for a long time like it's it's awesome is it that obvious yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but it's it's cool it's what you dream about and i think i think the you know the average tenure in the bay area right now is about a year and a half which i think is is like the worst thing in the world because teams need time to gel. If that was a sports team, it'd be really tough to accomplish something, right, in a year and a half. And so I believe nothing great happens unless you do something for a while. Like imagine if we would have jumped off Qualtrics at year seven, eight, or nine. No one would know about it. It wasn't till year 10 or 11 or 12 that people are like, oh, my gosh, like this is a great company. And it's like compounding interest where everything – begins to accelerate we did a uh, podcast recently where uh, one of our presenters was talking about the one of the key things he looks at with senior executives is how they use their time for you what's the most important use of your time every day at work or at home at work at work so the the best part for me and everyone's different is i think it's pretty easy in leadership to feel like you're a high-paid router. You know, think of an internet router where signals come and you just kind of disperse it out to different places. 
and you're never getting anything done. And I personally find joy, and I actually think most people, if you really got down to the core, find joy in being an individual contributor. Everyone wants to contribute to something individually. And so the most important part of my day is actually the first hour. So I often start my day at a restaurant right here next to the to the office, and everyone knows they can find me at 8 a.m. or a little earlier at, at Marley's. And I... I'll either have a meeting or about half the time I'm there by myself and I have my earphones on, I'll be listening to music and I'll be writing what I'm going to accomplish today come hell or high water is going to get done, right? And then a lot of times I can get that done before I even get into the office. So I'm in the office, I'm not coming in with this burden of like, oh, I've got to get this done. I'm actually coming in where I can help others get unblocked that are stuck, right? And actually, it gives me a lot more joy. If I come into the office and I've got something really important that I've got to get done and there's a lot going on or there's people visiting or things happening, um, I don't want to get to the point where I'm too busy where I can't see what's going on in the org. Um, And what happens, a lot of times I see people not available and I I try to be available for everyone as much as possible. Um, So personally, for me, um, when I do have those meetings first, and it can be eight, eight to nine or whenever, seven to eight, um, I find that my day goes better. When I don't, I feel, or I can go two or three days where I just feel like a router and I'm not contributing to the business. And I am happiest when I'm meeting with customers, when I'm on calls, um, when I'm actually doing something. And, you know, meetings are great, but, you know, you want to contribute. And I think that, I think if everyone like kind of analyze like what what part of their job makes them the most happy, you're going to have to do a lot of things that don't make you happy. I mean, it's one thing I tell my kids. It's like, you know, the world isn't about just doing what makes you happy. Um, but there are parts that you're better at that come natural that you really like feel joy from. And that's what I want to make sure I do a little bit of every day. And what's funny is as time's gone on, those things have changed. So I'm not the same person I was four years ago or even last quarter um, and as CEO and founder, like my job changes every quarter because we're hiring, hiring more people that are probably better at what they do than I was when I was doing it. So if you look forward around the corner, what do you think the challenges are to kind of keep this thing going and for you personally? So, so I think the good thing about what we're doing, we just, we just repivoted or, you know, kind of, created a breakout category, which is, which is pretty interesting. It's called experience management. And the, the idea is, and what's really happening is that your employee experience and your customer experience are together. And we've seen this recently with, you know, what we've seen in the news from brands that also in your brand and your product experience are together. So we developed the first platform ever that can manage your, your employee, your customer, your brand, and your product experience. And we believe those are the four vital signs and they are the four vital signs of your company. And our, our goal is that, when we call this the XM platform, is that every organization in the world will have an XM platform like they have an HRM platform or um, a CRM. And I think some of the challenges are how do you take that to the world? And first of all, you need a long enough runway to do that, right? And I think that's one of the things that we've done a good job with is Qualtrics is going to be around for a long time. And that's pretty cool because um, that means we can mess up a lot. Right. Uh, But I think that, you know, 
talent's a big issue with that. Can we get the right team together? Um, technology, can we build the right products to make that go? And um, it just keep doing what we're doing. I think some of the biggest risk that, that we have in the business is just um, making sure that we continue to innovate. And that's where these principles are so core is that we have to over-communicate um, as we get bigger, as we get international, as we as we start moving, is we've got to be able to offer that same level of support. It's simple things like just picking up the phone when someone calls in. And there's some processes or processes that we want to automate. And there's some that we don't. There's some that are inefficient for a reason, but they're high-level customer support. And um, there's things that the company that employees get to participate in, which is, could be something as similar, as simple as bringing a dog to work. Uh, but we want, we want to create a great environment. And reality is, is, is a company, all we can do is control the environment. Is, is CEO, um, if you look out across our office, um, we're an open culture, an open floor plan. No one's, no one's screens are facing the windows. Everyone's letting everyone else know what they're doing. And it, and it builds off this positive vibe but the reason why we're doing this is because I can't control how people think. All I can do is give them a positive environment, put the smartest people I can find next to them, and hopefully they'll want to come in and play business together every day. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to continue to, to make sure that we're relevant you know, for another 10 or 15 years. And that's hard in tech. That is hard. And you've done a great job, Ryan. Any other comments, Jack? No. That's very, very Thanks insightful. so much thank you. for your time. All right. Ryan. Thank you guys for coming. It's nothing like having a home game. This is great. <laughs> I wish I wish all the interviews were like this. My kids would see me more. All right. <laughs>